Weeble vs. POTUS. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am Arthur Stewart. And I'm Colin McCraney. And today we actually get to some history. All right. How about it, fellas? I'm excited. So for those of you tuning in, we are actually getting started with some history today. It should be great. Before we get to George Washington, though, we felt like it was necessary to do a little bit more background on the creation of the, um, the United States of America. I would actually argue it's the foundation of American character as yeah. well. Uh, Absolutely. The Seven Years' War, the time in between uh, the Seven Years' War and Revolution, the Revolution and then the time between the Revolution and the Constitution and Washington taking power are all fundamental to the identity of American politics, character, and citizenship. Yeah, the establishment of uh, the democratic values that created uh, the people that wanted to create a country like this one, or a presidency. Like we're going to be covering. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, where should we start? As you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean, ocean blue. blue. Yeah, completely missed Asia. Uh, but he did discover... Only by, like, a hemisphere. Well, he discovered a continent. Maps are hard. Maps yeah. didn't even exist in the form that we know them, so... Well, that's because they didn't know about it. But yeah. people who got there 65,000 years prior Here's the thing. Didn't. Can you blame him for not knowing if no one else knew? Well... Mm. No, but we can make. But we can now. blame him for all of the things he did once he got there. Yes, there well, we go. Haven't, haven't you ever like left the house for spices and been directly responsible for the death of millions of people? <laughs> um, Not this week. <laughs> so, but there's this gigantic mass of land that has resources that has. Uh, people who they think are going to be honestly exploitable. It's not the best situation. And it becomes that idea of everybody starts sending ships and making claims. So this massive continent has territory, has opportunity, has a propensity uh, for something new. It's an important thing. So we, really the Seven Years' War sets us up. And so therefore, from 1492, I'll, I'll skip ahead a few hundred years. You're welcome. Just a few. Well, no, let's talk about the Seven Years' War. The big thing out of it is Britain fought better than France. Britain had more people on the continent, even though they had less land. And they ended up, the French ceded all of their territory, except for um, two islands in the Caribbean. Suddenly, England had Canada and all American territory uh, east of the Mississippi, except parts of Florida, I, I don't even, I've never understood it. If, any, if anyone out there knows how Florida came to be part of the United States... Send us a message. Yeah. Now, the Seven Years' War, uh, if you're in constant warfare for most of a decade, it's expensive. Very. The other situation, another part of this initial and immediate uh, characterization of the American experience becomes the absolute steadfastness or stubbornness when it comes to the rights of the people. Now, of course, they mean white landowning male people at this point, but we're going to see suffrage expand over the next 240-something years. A Seven Years' War is expensive, especially because there was war in Europe as well. Britain came out of this as the chief superpower in the world, which is going to tick off the Spanish, the Dutch, and the French. Pretty much everybody. Well, especially for this continent. That might come back to haunt you. <laughs> what happens, though, is that uh, because of this debt, Britain begins to say, you know, we feel like the colonists should be taxed because British troops were brought over in order to protect British subjects. Yeah. So now 
taxation. We protected your land. You should pay for it. Well, and the land that the uh, English colonists want wanted, and I, I plan to call proto-Americans colonials and British the British. The colonials wanted to cross the Appalachians. That's why all the border skirmishes that started the French and Indian War happened. They wanted expansion. They wanted they wanted expansion more land, the fertile uh, out towards you know West Virginia, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, what we will refer to as the Northwest for a while, but really it's the Eastern Midwest. Yeah. But it also comes down to the colonials are not allowed to cross the Appalachians, which then also makes them resentful because while their freedoms are being imposed upon, well, they why, should have the right to settle. Well, why aren't they allowed to cross? Uh, because that land was reserved for the Native Americans, which we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of trends emerge that we're going to have to deal with historically. So they're, they're basically they're saying, colonists, you can't cross over in order to keep peace. Um, going forward, you know, no more conflicts with the people. Royal Proclamation, King George in 1760, or King George III in 1760 says, nope, thus we have demanded. <laughs> and as you know, no further. if you want to tick off an American, tell them they can't do something. Did you know NASA was founded when someone dared to say to Eisenhower, no one can go to the moon? So basically what day. you're telling me is that America is, is identical to a five-year-old? Yeah, <laughs> because the last time I tried to tell a five-year-old not to do something, they did that thing almost immediately. Uh, very oppositional. So, in response to the debt that uh, the British had incurred, they imposed. They thought, "Hey, these colonists are getting off pretty easy, and they should be paying their their uh, fair part." And so, uh, several taxes uh, were passed by the British Parliament, starting in uh, 1764, the, uh, the Sugar Act, taxing uh, molasses. And you had the Dutch, the French, and the Spanish, who all could undercut the British goods. And hey, that's a free market. Great, that's competition. And suddenly Britain said, oh yeah, you can only buy it from us, and uh, it's not cheap. Limiting the market, and... Uh, I'm not a fan of that either. Then comes the Stamp Act. Now, the Stamp Act was particularly uh, problematic, not because it cost a lot of money. It wasn't the money that made people mad. It was the fact that it was in your face. Uh, Playing cards, newspapers, official documents, writing paper, everything had to have a, a stamp on it saying that taxes had been paid on it. And so on every sheet of paper you were going through, you're reminded, oh, yeah, I had to pay taxes on this, and it's in your face. Actually, a funny story. At a pickup game of Hold'em at Benjamin Franklin's house, at one point the flop card was actually a card that just said, you need to pay more taxes to the crown. <laughs> and it blew the hand because you can't you can't get an inside straight. Yeah, the, no, the, that doesn't work for you. It's hard to pair up. That's you, can't um, yeah, you can't get trips with that. Uh. And so this uh, these people who are... You know they're oppositional. They're uh, they're wanting to. They're used to being treated. You know separately. Hey, kind of leave us alone. Are no longer being left alone. They're so much not being left alone that it's on every single sheet of paper they touch. Hey, we're in your pocket. Well, it's um, not the actual money. It didn't cost them. It didn't raise that much money. There's a lot of symbolic gestures we're going to get to over the course of this. Um, this was repealed, by the way, the next year in 1766, along with the Sugar Act, and it was so egregious it was listed as a grievance in the Declaration of Independence ten years later. <laughs> We're all in relationships. You know it when there's a problem if something is brought up ten, ten years, years later. later. <laughs> Just waiting for the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we get, you know, the quartering acts, um, where since the colonials won't pay for barracks, <laughs> the Brits can then occupy, British soldiers can occupy unoccupied public buildings. No one ever had to have Lieutenant Cargill come and sleep in their bed, as we were led to believe in middle school history. It wasn't necessarily private homes. It was just relatively inconvenient. That's our pool hall, so to speak. Sam Adams said this of the Sugar Act, and I think it's poignant. Um, it's on trade, not quartering, but it still points to it, the uh, oppositional stance. For if our trade may be taxed, why not our lands? Why not the produce of our lands and everything we possess or make use of? This, we apprehend, annihilates our charter right to govern and tax ourselves. It strikes our British privileges, which, as we have never forfeited them, we hold in common with our fellow subjects who are natives of Britain. If taxes are laid upon us in any shape without our having a legal representation where they are laid, are we not reduced from the character of free subjects to the miserable state of tributary slaves? Oh, nice. we heard the magic word. Representation. Yes. We're going to be hearing that word a lot, too. A lot. The Townsend Acts, or Townshend Acts, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which we totally need an American equivalent, uh, decided to go indirect <laughs> on the taxes, since direct taxes made people angry. Um, and there were new duties on paper, paint, lead, glass, and tea. These things were not produced in North America, and therefore they could only be bought through Britain. It made tea more profitable, for the British merchants, like it, they they allowed it, you could send a shipment of tea to the New World, and they wouldn't charge you to export it. When it arrived in the colonies, it was expected then that you paid for the shipment and you paid three percent as the tariff or tax. These indirect uh, taxes from the Townsend Act eventually were all withdrawn by 1770, except the tax on tea. Yeah, they tax our tea. Now, I love our tea. Here's the thing Boston to note. takes care of that. <laughs> and here's the thing to, to note on that. The Townshend Acts were repealed on March 5th, 1770, the same day as the Boston Massacre. Hmm. Just to clarify, of course, the Townshend Acts, except for the one on tea, were repealed by Parliament in England on the 5th of March, 1770. It would not be for another month until word of the repealing got to the colonies. Because oceans... Yeah, and slow Ocean boats. Slow boats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Jamie, you're 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 a sports guy. I am, and we're, I'm super glad that you are doing this podcast with us. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to consistently just explain football to me over and over again, <laughs> it's based on downs. How many downs are there? Twenty. Um, but I, yeah, as you explain it, just change the rules each time, and then we'll, and then we'll make him watch a full game and yeah. see if he can't figure out where I where I was lying. Yeah. <laughs> But what we have, um, as we talk about the foundation of character, would you like to take a moment to talk about why Boston is such a great representation sport, of, of sports towns and of that competitive je ne sais quoi? So, you know, I, I think that um, Boston sports fans, you know, they've, they've experienced a shift lately, and, this, and the shift in the sports scene in Boston from about 2000 to... 2016 has really mirrored the shift that we see in Boston uh, during this time uh, just prior to the American Revolution, uh, where you see uh, these Boston uh, people and, and really all the people in the colonies, they're being overtaxed, they're being underrepresented, uh, they're kind of the lovable losers, similar to their sports teams for, oh God, so long. <laughs> 
But then we experience a very dramatic shift of right when we get to the Boston Tea Party, where all of a sudden they have won a small victory, and now they are wearing crowns, and they are thinking that they are the best thing on the planet. And if you look at the Boston sports scene since oh, about 2004, when the Red Sox broke that miserable streak of winning World Series, uh, if you've encountered a Boston sports fan since then, you understand that they are, without a doubt, uh, one of the most obnoxious human beings on the planet. <laughs> and uh, if you disagree with us and you're a listener in Boston, please send us an email telling us why we're wrong at peoplevspotus at gmail.com. I will be sure to mark Care you of Jamie. So that leads us right into the Boston Massacre. Uh, now, you guys have probably heard about this. This was 1770, March 5th. Uh, a group of colonists is uh, uh, surrounds uh, some British soldiers and begins insulting them, throwing insults at them, throwing snowballs, throwing stones, and the British open fire on the colonists, killing five and wounding eight. Now, one of the, one of the casualties uh, is Crispus Attucks, a free black thought to be the first casualty of the American Revolution. Now, there is absolute outrage. It, it, it's all over the papers. There's a, a famous uh, etching cartoon pr- printed out of just British sh- soldiers mowing down people in the streets. And so this leads to even greater tensions. Shots have been fired. People have been killed. Uh, and we are just boiling over uh, uh, in, in the colonies. So, so Britain uh, assumes some diplomacy. And uh, I, I wanted to share this story because I actually never knew it. And I put it in the notes that you guys didn't read. So it, it's cool I get to share it for the first time. The Gatsby Affair. There's a British custom ship looking for tea smugglers because it all comes back to tea, and it's called the Gatsby. It unfortunately runs aground, and it's off the coast of Rhode Island, and here come the Sons of Liberty, and they're like, hey, it's a shame your boat's stuck. They're like, yes, stay back, colonists, and instead the Sons of Liberty get onto the boat, loot it, remove the crew and put them on shore, and then burn the ship. (laughs) I just love the subtlety of it. Yeah, it's very, very subtle. People often think that perhaps the colonists were upset about tea. Now, do note this, of course, ups the ante. The only Townshend Act that's still in place is the one on tea. Parliament passed a law allowing the struggling British East India Company uh, that was sitting on a lot of tea that the the colonists were boycotting because they're not going to drink tea if it's being taxed. They said, you know what, ship directly to the colonies, tax-free. Just get it out there. The colonials still had to pay the tax when it arrived, and by doing so, it was as if they were giving implicit approval of the tax on tea. So uh, this boycott of, of tea has actually gone so far. If you've gone to the Smithsonian, if you've been to the American History Museum at the Smithsonian, you can see some of the uh, Founding Fathers' silver tea sets that have been etched, no tea. This, they've gone so far as to permanently etch their silverware, uh, with with their silver tea service, with we are boycotting your tea. I don't know what they put in it. Maybe whiskey, because that seems to be where they go from <laughs> that's, here. That's the next logical step. By the way, a fun fact on this tea embargo, or not embargo, but boycott and everything. The tea, if the English tried to sell it in the continent, uh, it would just be bought up by smugglers who would then shovel, like send it back to England, which was kind of hilarious, and it would then undersell. The East India Company tea, even though it was the East, it's, it's kind of beautiful. We again see this, this freedom and, and rights of governance and, and ruling that appears. 
when the tea ships come into all of these harbors across the colonies, uh, New York and Philadelphia simply said, you're not docking here. The city of Charleston just left the tea to rot in the harbor. And Boston, Boston decided to not unload the ships. Other cities were doing this, but a few factors are different uh, in Boston. And Boston and the Northeast is really where things begin for the revolution. First, their governor, Thomas Hutchison, was a victim of leaks when Postmaster General Benjamin Franklin released information saying he was totally cool with the Crown paying officials, and he didn't think you know, independence was the, good. The, the original uh, WikiLeaks there. He has to deal with Sam Adams, who's just always yelling and publishing stuff. <laughs> He's, he's the YouTube commenter of, commenter of his time. And, of course, Boston was the center of commerce, really, for the colonies. So those duties on the tax had to be paid within 20 days. Parliament, some folk were actually ready to, like, repeal the tax. And uh, Lord North, one of the big pushers for all of these taxes, said, no, that helps us pay our people who are loyal to us in the colonies, like Governor Hutchison. Hutchinson wouldn't send the ships back. So, on the 20th day... And I love this historical description. Between 30 and 130 people. <laughs> there it's were like, some. It's like the guard didn't think anything was going to happen, so he drank a little bit of whiskey. And he's just like, oh my gosh, there are so many people. How many people were there? Uh, At like least 30. Seven. No, there were like, there were Maybe like, like 130. There was 130, no, it was 130 yeah. for yeah, sure. They, they overpowered us. There were so many, it, would, yeah. it was impossible to stop them. Well, between 30 and 130 people had a few drinks, dressed up as Mohawk Indians, and boarded the ship, dumping 342 chests of tea into Boston Harbor. Um, there is so much tea in there. So there's, there's, a few, there's a few ramifications. Sam Adams said it was a political protest. Uh, only Parliament could tax, with representation, people that they ruled over. So he said either we're not represented and you don't rule over us, or you're taxing us illegally. Second... This is when America becomes a coffee-drinking nation, right there. No tea <laughs> etched in the silver, and they're like, well, this is fine. This tastes like dirt that has water run through it, and oh my God, four cups in, you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. I have so much energy. <laughs> uh, other cities actually followed suit with tea parties of their own, but only Boston's, obviously, made the annals of history. The and Boston Tea Party, and big name. only Boston was punished, specifically Massachusetts generally and the colonies otherwise, but Boston was intentionally targeted in the Coercive Acts. It's the They Started It Act. They, <laughs> yes, it is the If This Works, We'll Never Have a Problem Again Act. So let's hear more about those uh, Coercive Acts. Well, uh, do note that these were passed in part because of Lord North. Tell us who Lord North is. Lord North was the parliamentary leader who just thought, oh, screw the colonies. Fairest way to put it. But he said, The Americans have tarred and feathered your subjects, plundered your merchants, burnt your ships, denied all obedience to your laws and authority, yet so clement and so long forbearing has our conduct been that it is incumbent on us now to take a different course. Whatever may be the consequences, we must, must risk something. If we do not, all is over. North thought nothing before this was really that problematic. <laughs> and so the coercive acts, called coercive by Parliament, called intolerable in the colonies. One, the Boston Port Act. You go to your room and you stay there. It closed the port of Boston until all the tea had been paid for 
and the crown felt that order had been restored. This was a punishment of an entire city for the actions of a few, not justice. This was punishing people without any sort of trial, without any chance to give a defense, without taking any statement whatsoever, which are rights specifically outlined in the English Bill of Rights. The second one, the Massachusetts Government Act. They're like, Massachusetts is no longer a colony. It's now directly... (laughs) (laughs) Done! (laughs) You lose your state charter, we're just going to... Like, you're right under royal control. It's when you have to move your desk next to the teachers when you got in trouble (laughs) in elementary school. Uh, This really freaked out all of the other colonies because they all have charters, and they're like, oh, no, what if the king decides... They can just revoke this? They can just, like, We didn't know that that was a rule. (laughs) We did not sign up for that. Delaware started it. There was the Administration of Justice Act, which allowed British soldiers to be tried in Britain. It also said, like, Americans are welcome to hop on an expensive boat and go slowly across the Atlantic to testify, and they'd even reimburse you for travel costs. But since I can't get away with taking two months off work, I don't know about you guys, neither could they. It's loss of income, so it becomes completely impractical to go and testify, which was kind of the point. And then the Quartering Act. We get a repeat of this. Once again, colonies were supposed to build garrisons, but they just wouldn't. So this act allowed soldiers to be housed in unoccupied buildings, but yes, they had to be provided for for food and necessities. I was going to say toilet paper, but I don't know if that was invented then. I don't that, think that'd so. be something to look up. Was that something Benjamin? That. I bet you Ben Franklin had a hand in it. We'll, we'll, we'll see if Ben Franklin made that. All right. It doesn't okay. look like I, he actually... I, I don't think Ben Franklin He's also did. been wrongly associated with creating air conditioning. <laughs> uh, ben also, Franklin made everything. Also wrongly associated with uh, inventing the bulkhead. Wow. Um, and also wrongly associated with uh, inventing daylight savings time. Oh, good. It's not his fault? No. Hey, Ben Franklin invented wristwatches, Bifocals. the iPhone, and walls. Okay. He also was the ghostwriter for the first six James Bond movies. And this None has of this been, is going to be in, so it's <laughs> And fun. this has been Jamie Googles It. <laughs> uh, the last little bits of history uh, that we need to look at, building up to the American Revolution and the real start with it, with Georgie and all that jazz. There's a Continental Congress. It's the first one. I don't think they call it the First Continental Congress. Nothing's more annoying than when I see a sign that says the First Annual Blah, 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 because... You (laughs) You don't know what's happening again. You're very optimistic. Yeah. So 1774, uh, less than a year away from the start of the American Revolution, a Continental Congress is called, and it meets in Philadelphia. It's a nice city. It's kind of central. Uh, It may make a great capital. Who knows? It may indeed. All of the colonies are represented except for Georgia, because Georgia is dealing with Uh, insurgent rebellions of their own from the Native American population and they thought Britain would help even though like this revolution (laughs) is fermenting and fomenting. Hey, hey, we're fighting against you but could you help us out a little bit with this and then we'll kick you out, alright? Yeah. The Continental Congress decides a few things. Uh, They're going to completely boycott all British goods in December. The colonies were the major market for British goods at this point. They affirm the rights of colonists to life, liberty, and property. Oh, thank you, Enlightenment. They appoint a second Continental Congress to meet in 1775, 
And they're like, you know what? We should get Canada in on this. So they're like, oh yeah, let's all write letters to Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. They end up only sending letters to Quebec, and Quebec declines. Aww. Yeah, but Georgia says they'll be at the second one. Oh, that's nice. And they finally, they make the declaration and resolves. Essentially, the coercive acts are inappropriate. They should be repealed, and they send that off to Parliament. Parliament received them. They work to repeal many of the taxes and address issues, but... On the 9th of February, the reactionary wing swoops in. Massachusetts is declared to be in a state of rebellion by Parliament. Hutchinson is out. General Gage of the Army is now (laughs) Governor Gage of the directly controlled Massachusetts colony. Uh Uh-oh. And the blockade on Boston is expanded to the entire state. And the other colonies seeing this, seeing that not only has Massachusetts, you're no longer a colony, but now you are uh, under the direct government of... The military, mm-hmm. as decreed by your representatives in Parliament. Well, it's not their representatives. But it's the, the people's, yes. Then, a month later, there's the New England Restraining Act. It barred all trade with foreign powers for all of New England, and for our purposes, that's Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. New Hampshire, do also note, contained parts of Maine and parts of Vermont, or Massachusetts did. I never remember which. The whole reason behind this is to try to stop the colonies from being upset by... Making them more upset. Making them more upset. In April, the, uh, the Restraining Act was expanded to include Pennsylvania, Virginia... New Jersey, Maryland, and South Carolina, but they were like New York, Delaware, Georgia, and North Carolina. They're cool. They're not <laughs> gonna revolt. Like, I don't, I don't understand. It's like they're all writing letters to each other or something. And then, though, before they can restrain any more colonies, the battles of Lexington and Concord happen. Militiamen engage with the British in these two towns. The shot heard round the world is fired, and the American Revolution has begun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that'll pretty much do it for this episode of the People vs. POTUS podcast, Uh, but we do want to touch a little bit on some of the things that we're going to be talking about next week. So Colin and Arthur, do you want to give us a little preview of what we're looking for? For episode number one, the People vs. George Washington? That is correct. I, I think the important things in it is representative government, expansionist idealism, and the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness instead of property. Hmm. That's an interesting change. Yeah, does that mean property equals happiness? So what we'll be seeing next week is uh, setting out of uh, literally writing down the ideals of this nation on paper, documents that we still rely on uh, very heavily today. We'll see the establishment of uh, the president as uh, as an entity. It it doesn't exist at this point. Uh, So we'll be talking quite a bit about that and uh, and what that means – for the uh, future of this uh, new country. So that'll pretty much do it for this episode of the People vs. POTUS podcast. But before we go, we're going to determine which one of Colin and Arthur is going to be the defense and which one of Colin and Arthur is going to be the prosecution in our next episode about George Washington. One of them will be arguing in favor of George Washington being considered a great president, and one of them will actually have to argue against the idea that George Washington is a great president. So we're going to flip a coin. Uh, I have here a penny from 1997, uh, so you know it's good. Good year. And it's, it was a very good year for pennies. Uh, they still mattered then. Uh, so, Colin, <laughs> we're going to have you call it in the air, okay? Here we go. All right. Tails. And it was heads. So, Arthur, you win 
So what would you like to do? Would you like to be the prosecution or the defense? I hereby bring charges against George Washington that he was not one of the best presidents of all time, and I plan to prove it in our next episode. I will prosecute. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash peoplevspotus. Follow us on Twitter at peoplevspotus. Please check out our website at peoplevspotus.com. Also, if you'd like to send us an email, drop us a line at peoplevspotus at gmail.com. We want to thank the Underscore Orchestra for use of their song Government Housing as our intro and outro. It was free online, and we love it. So until the next time, I am Arthur Stewart. I'm Colin McCraney. And I'm Jamie Plunkett. Have a good night, everybody. Government housing for me. Let go! Living Living in government housing. Living in government housing. Government housing for me. Living in government housing. Living in government housing. Don't judge me. Government housing for me. Living in government.